Welcome to the Disney at Work podcast, bringing magical ideas to improve your world from the happiest place on earth. Your host is J. Jeff Kober, author, speaker, and consultant to organizations around the globe that look to bring best of Disney ideas to their workplace. Welcome to the Disney at Work podcast. On today's episode, we are going to discuss Jeff Kober's new book, Disney Leadership and You, House of the Mouse Ideas, Stories, and Hope for the Leader in You. So before we start talking about Jeff's new book and really dig into uh, what's inside, what the motivation was behind writing it, we should probably talk to the man himself, J. Jeff Kober. Welcome in, sir. <laughs> Hello. Hi, How are you good. today, David? We are David. recording now in uh, the, and whenever people listen to this, we're recording in the middle of January, and we have uh, about 14 inches of snow still on the ground, and they're calling for another potential 12 inches this weekend. So it's, uh, nobody knows where to put it. The other day, Lovely. we literally drove through a parking Lovely. lot, and there was a, uh, uh, you know, a, a big backhoe that was picking up snow and putting it into a dump truck so they could move it to get ready for the next step. <laughs> so something you, of course, have to deal with all the time in Florida. I suppose you're going to be disappointed when I say it's going to be in the 80s tomorrow. Yeah. But the nice thing is, is if, if we get off of school, then I get to spend some time home with my kids. So that's a that's a bonus. Um, so I wanted to say um, this is our first podcast of the new year. We make uh, big goals to do more podcasts, <laughs> and we actually have a lot of ideas for it. So hopefully we'll we'll succeed in that. But before we get underway, David, what are you looking forward to most in 2019? I am looking forward to getting back to the Disney parks in Asia. I am taking a group at the end of May. Uh, I love those parks. We've said many times that if I could pick a theme park to live in, it would probably be the Tokyo Disney Resort. And so I am excited to get back, uh, see those parks. By the time I get to Hong Kong, the new Ant-Man and the Wasp attraction will be open. Uh, I'll miss the opening of the Soaring, Soaring attraction in Tokyo by a couple of weeks, uh, they just announced. But I'm excited to get back in those parks and, and spend time. Those parks are so yeah, they... full of detail that there are places I still have not even explored yet. And so I'm excited to, to get to show some folks those parks for the first time, as well as get back there myself. What about you? Soren, Soren is a great example of the kind of detail in Tokyo. I mean, Soren is a great attraction wherever you go, but but the level of attention they're putting to the whole thematic detailing of the exterior, to the queue, to a revamp of the storyline of what brings you on there. I, I don't know if you saw the attraction poster recently. It's just it's just a, a complete um example of how disney always takes it to the next level in tokyo and uh so a uh, bummer that you won't have a chance to see it in april but there's so much more to see so so for me i have to say i i am really looking forward to star wars and that whole thing unveiling itself first at disneyland and then secondly here at disney's hollywood studios I'm also strangely excited for the Mickey's Runaway Rail Train. I just, <laughs> I keep having, somebody likened 
some of the projection activity of that attraction to Phantom Manor. Okay. And, uh, and it's, you're not in a building. I mean, you're not in a house during Mickey's Runaway Rail Train. You're kind of out in the outside, so to speak, in the setting that they have for you. But, but the idea that you might be caught in a whirlwind or something in that, in that train, I could see that completely with how that uh, whole whirlwind kind of experience happens in Phantom Manor. It's so cool. And uh, when I, I, the, what first, there were two things that got me excited about that attraction. One was I was on board, I think it's the Disney Fantasy or is it the Dream, which has the Mickey and Minnie ice cream parlor. That's the fantasy. That is the fantasy. And I love the theming inside that little shop. It was cute. It was capricious. It was colorful. Um, and then when I was at Shanghai Disney, uh, and I stepped into, have you done the Mickey meet and greet at Shanghai? Yes, the very first time I was there, yeah. So you step into an entrance um, queue area, which is really a room full of different framed uh, monitors that show different Mickey shorts. And the and they would bring up some of those more contemporary Mickey shorts. And the color that would fill that room was just so vivid and exciting. And I could see that play out then in a real uh, kind of uh, multi-dimensional setting. So I, I'm excited about that. But then going back to Star Wars, uh, there is so much that is happening with that with those attractions and that whole land, which is just going to be so immersive. It's going to be really, really exciting. For once, it's going to be really exciting here in the United States as opposed to going to our international uh, parks to see uh, things in action. So lots of fun things. This Speaking year. of Star Wars, I think we should also, the other thing, if you're looking company-wide, that I'm looking forward to is the, the slate of films that are coming out mm, from the Disney yeah. company this year. I mean, really, if you start to count it, so you've got Captain Marvel, you've obviously got uh, the the Avengers Endgame, you've then got all of the live action. You've got Dumbo, you've got, you've got, got Aladdin, Dumbo, Lion, Lion King, King, Aladdin, you've got Toy Story 4, you've got Frozen 2 comes out in the fall, and then you've got Star and, oh, by Wars, the way, Star Wars episode, at the end. <laughs> episode 9. You yeah. know? So I mean, it's just yeah. all, all of the it, that, and that's and that's it, and that's just going to the movie theaters. It's a this is a good year to buy the popcorn bucket that you get the refills on, because <laughs> I, it's just going to be. And I, I don't honestly know that I care too much for Dumbo, because uh, I'm not a fan of that movie in general. But I'm sure just for the for the zeitgeist, uh, you know, element of it, we will probably go see it. But I'm looking forward. You know to what? Of all to... the live action remakes, that one is the most exciting to me, and I think it's 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 one actor, Michael Keaton. I'd love yeah. to see what Michael Keaton brings to a movie. And I understand that the, the Dumbo story really plays out in the first half of the film. And then this whole Michael Keaton character plays out in the second half. And it's it's kind of fun. Kind of exciting. So so anyway, a lot of cool stuff. Definitely, whether it's uh, stateside theme parks, foreign theme parks, or uh, in the movie theater. A lot of stuff going on. But today, yeah. our discussion is going to revolve around... Uh, your, your new child, your, your new book <laughs> and tell us a bit about if you could, we're going to talk, we're obviously not going to give it a lot away cause we'd love people to go grab their own copy, but I thought it would be interesting to start, you know, when you write, when an author starts to write, obviously there's tons of ideas bouncing around in your head 
about different things that you would like to share and you would like to write about. But what made you decide to write this book? Great question. The, um, you know, uh, it's been several years since I wrote my first uh, Disney customer service book, The Wonderful World of Customer Service at Disney. Um, I was doing that at the same time that I was creating a Disney at work app series. I had these apps, they're no longer available, but um, that they're wonderful apps that actually were by theme park, Disneyland. I had one, uh, Magic Kingdom, Epcot, and you'd go in and you'd see these stories of these attractions and many of them were customer service stories, but many of them were leadership stories. And they were great stories. And so I was really kind of like, oh, I need to find a format to tell these stories in a different way, especially because I didn't see those apps continuing. They were great at the time, but I wanted to kind of continue in a different form. And so um, there was one, and, and if folks don't know, Disney or uh, um, uh, you, David, host a group from your university every year uh, to actually learn about Disney. And we've been doing this for what, 10, 11 years now. This was, this was the, this past month was the 10th year, 10th year. And, uh, I think back in year four or five, you had asked for some stuff on leadership and I actually sat down and wrote out a whole bunch. I combined a whole bunch of stories and, uh, put that into, uh, uh, a very informal online document for you. And I kept thinking, I gotta, I gotta build that out. I gotta finish that out. And uh, other projects and other activities came about. But I finally said, you know, I really do have to get this leadership message out because so many times when I'm working with organizations, I find that the the missing link is that leadership, the people who really make that engage others and really inspire others and get people to the end goal. Uh, that is such a missing link. And I felt like I needed to write this book as a, as a guide to helping people see their leadership potential that was within them. And so it, it really, uh, it really became uh, a, a uh, a, a work of love to try to get to it. And I actually completed the first version of the book, even did a little print of the book with a blue cover. Last, uh, what was it? Uh, a year ago. And um, over a year ago. And I sent it to a couple of colleagues um, and friends to kind of do a review. And uh, two of my colleagues were from Disney Institute, one um, Judy Daly and the other Danny Mickler. And I remember sitting down with them over a year ago and asking them, what do you think of this book? And um, they had some really great comments. One of the comments that really stuck with me when I met with them was, um, you probably have enough for two books here. Maybe you ought to consider dividing the book. And that really threw me for a loop. And I do tend to write larger books uh, than some. I know that there are a lot of business books that they tell one nice little big story, fictional story, bring in a whole bunch of points into it and, and sell it a, at, at a little over 100 pages. 
But I really wanted to do something uh, a little different than that. Um, and so what would it be if there was a second book? And I decided I didn't want to divide the book, but I did want to create uh, a, a, what is now become known as Excellence in You. It's an online tool series that brings in leadership tools and employee engagement tools and customer service tools to kind of help organizations take it to the next level. That's a whole other conversation for another day. If you want to see more about that, we'll put a link on the, the page for this podcast. But I wanted to actually see how that would play out in conjunction with the book. And ultimately, uh, that put the book another year before I'd finished it. But in the process, some of the best pieces came together for me. And I, I was really glad to see the book kind of come to a place where I could just take a step back and say, I love this book. And when I love this book, I just then I know I've got the book in the right place. When I have an absolute love, because sometimes when you write things, you just can't stand them anymore. You can't stand to look at them. But I love this book. I love to open up the book and, and see the stories that I've, I've included. Um, and that, that makes me you know, really excited. So that's kind of the long story. It's been a, a work in progress for, for seven, eight years now, uh, getting it to this point. So you actually mentioned something there in, in, in passing that I think leads to another interesting question. Typically, you mm -hmm. would think, all right, so you're writing a book on a subject. And so in this case, it's about Disney and it's about leadership. So you'd think the no-brainer title would be Disney and leadership or leadership at Disney. But you mentioned when you were just discussing the, you know, the, the concept of maybe having two books that your other uh, project was the excellence in you. And this is Disney leadership in you. So w give the listeners some insight into why, why the and you becomes not, not just a good idea, but a necessary part of the title to those different projects. Yeah, that the, the um so let me back up and go back to my customer service book. I love my customer service book, but I hate the title I gave to it. The title I thought was really creative at the time, The Wonderful World of Customer Service at Disney. It was a little bit like the television show back in the 70s, The Wonderful World of Disney. In fact, the cover of the book had a TV on it and it had a kaleidoscope which was part of the opening of that show, and I thought, what a clever idea to come up with that title. It was a stupid title. <laughs> I love the book. It's a great book. It's a fantastic book. I've had so much wonderful experiences with that book, but it was a terrible title. And I thought, I need to get really lean and clear on what the title of this book is. And so I, I thought, well, it's really down to three things. It's really a Disney book. The subject is not customer service, is not team building, it's, it's leadership. But I think a very definitive part of my writing is the you part. And every when you read my books, you'll see that every chapter has a section at the end where it asks some questions. How does this apply to you? It's one thing, there are ever, so many, there are, there are hundreds of great Disney books. My library is filled with great Disney books out there. The difference of my book and even other Disney leadership books that have been built and written over the, over the last couple of decades is that mine has the perspective of applying these ideas back to somebody's organization. I've actually been in the trench. I've worked with organizations 
to try to say, okay, how do you apply this? And so that you is so important. And it, and it, and it relates, obviously, I saw this as now being connected because, as I said, I stopped writing on the book to think about that online tool. The online tools even has similar format and look. It's called Excellence in You. Excellence is really about three things, leadership, uh, employee engagement, and, and the customer experience, which is part of what we refer to as the chain reaction of excellence in our business. It just made sense to get lean and clear. This is about three things, Disney, leadership, and importantly, you. So that actually transitions fairly well into the, the possibility anyway. Before we talk about some of the nuts and bolts of what's actually in there, maybe we'll get some ideas of what some of your favorite parts are, your favorite stories. But how do you have the book laid out, right? Because it's great to be able to say, this is what I'm talking about. But can you kind of help the listeners understand a bit how you have, what the, what the structure is of this book as you've approached it? Yeah, yeah, no, good um, so let me back up and say, most people, when they think the word leader, they think manager. Leaders equal managers. And yes, uh, a manager should be a great leader. But ask yourself, have you worked in an organization where you had a manager, but you would say definitely not a leader? And then ask yourself the question, have you ever worked with somebody who wasn't necessarily in a managerial position, but definitely a leader? Uh, so leadership is not about management. Leadership, a leader is anyone who has influence in terms of the organization and others in it. And so I get into the details of, and I, I share nearly a uh, hundred different examples from Disney leaders. So obviously, we're going to talk about Walt Disney. Obviously, we're going to talk about Bob Iger and Michael Eisner. But we just, I just felt very strong that it is not just about managers at the top. It is really about anybody who has, who has really led out, whether that is from a positional point of view or from a spontaneous, they were there in the right moment and provided the right answers, or from a personal leadership point of view in terms of their, uh, their entire legacy of their work and so forth. So there's a nurse by the name of Hazel that uh, Walt had. She was impactful in some of the things that happened within the organization. She didn't have a big position and title, but she had influence, and she had influence with one of the most important people uh, in the with the most important person, and so it's really about your influence, not about your control. So when I went set about um, organizing this book, I felt very strongly about what's referred to as an R squared model. That really leadership is defined by two things: your ability to one attain results, by second, effectively working relationships with others. So it's really about results and relationships. So after setting up some ideas and concepts around what is leadership, the book is largely divided into two parts. One is about how to get results. And when we talk about results, it's about, okay, do you have that vision? Do you have the ability to manage your time? Do you have the ability to set a goal and work toward it? Do you have an ability to learn from your mistakes? 
you have the ability to work with the resources that you have. And so that's the results section of the book. The second section of the book is about relationships. It's about your ability to, um, to really um, work effectively with other people. So are you able to get other people on board? Are you able to um, communicate your ideas to others? Or do you recognize uh, the work that others do? Can you create an organization? Can you create an experience that's fun for everybody to come to work and so forth? So I see it as about leaders effectively um, uh, attaining results while secondly uh, working uh, with others. And then thir the final section kind of wraps that and ties it up with a, a powerful case study, an, an example in Disney, and then uh, reflects on, on, uh, on really what leadership is about at the end of the day. So I, uh, the whole book really has... Uh, some thought leadership in terms of what is leader, what is a leader, and what does it look like. But then we add this whole layer of Disney and all these stories about artists, about Imagineers, about people in the parks, people who have made a dent in the Disney experience, and what was that leadership attribute they had that made a difference. So I know as an educator, when I'm trying to plan a class and plan a lecture, kind of deciding you know, how I'm going to best explain things to students, that becomes the most difficult part for me. But I also, when you're speaking face-to-face -face with people, you have a little bit of a leg up because if you get their nonverbals that they don't necessarily understand it, you can kind of re-explain it. For you as an author with this book, what was the what was the toughest nut you had to crack in terms of getting it to be how you wanted it to when it came to communicating your ideas? Uh, there are a couple of nuts that were difficult to crack. Um, one is is that you really at the end of the day you wanted a business book, one that really effectively laid out very clear, very succinct behaviors that you see uh, in leaders. And what that looks like. Um, you can see a great story and hear a great story and see many of those behaviors come to the surface. But I had to take that story and really emphasize a particular behavior. So trying to, to emphasize those behaviors and to get that clarity so that it just wasn't, oh yeah, these are really good people. Oh yeah, they're so cool. Oh, they're so inspirational. Well, what does that mean? that they were inspirational? What does it mean that they were magical? What does it mean that they were amazing? How do you, what are the very behaviors? Because people want to know at the end of the day, how can I do that? They're not gonna have a theme park. They're not gonna create a movie. But they do want to know, how do I actually apply these ideas back to my business? And so getting that, making that very succinct is, um, really important to, I think, making this book uh, succeed. And then I'll also say that towards the end, by the way, the book ended up being even bigger than the first uh, draft that I had people review. But when I got to the end, I kept looking at the section on, on relationships and so forth, and I said, I'm missing something. I can't figure out what it is, but I'm missing something. And I, I felt really stupid when I finally... Um, finally found it, it um, the chapter title is uh, Just a Spoonful of Sugar. 
But the emphasis is leaders make work fun. And what does that mean? It's fun to work here. Uh, does that mean we have donuts all the time? Does it mean we, um, we kid around and joke or we go out to lunch? What does it mean that you have an environment that's fun? How do you create an environment that is working toward very difficult, very hard obstacles, and yet there's this passion, there's this excitement, there is this, I, I, I wouldn't want to do anything else in the world, even though it's very hard and it's very stressful, it's still, what is fun? What is that fun? And so I had to find that self for me. In fact, um, I share a few stories in the book um, that are personal. Most, uh, almost all of it is, is stories of others. But, I, but having been part of the, uh, uh, part of the, uh, the Walt Disney Company myself, I had some particular experiences that I, that I, I learned. And um, one of them was working with Judy Daly who was my mentor. I have mentioned her in other experiences. She was responsible for hosting every um, celebrity, every, every dignitary, every U.S. president, everybody who came to Walt Disney World, she was responsible for. And she and I had to work on the customer service programming together. And she, I, I'm telling you, she was like the Mary Poppins of... of uh, of guest service. She knew how to make everything practically perfect in every way. And she, she created a level of demand and a level of quality and a level, she knew that you couldn't just talk about quality. You had to make sure that you modeled that in that program. And so her demands and the, and the, the effort you had to make in order to create a program that was just stellar uh, really took a lot of effort, took a lot of focus, took a lot of uh, work. And yet, I cannot tell you how that was probably one of the happiest times of my life. Um, definitely the happiest part of working at Disney was working so hard on something, but having so much fun in, in, in using your passion to actually create that. So, so um, I just, yeah, I just love this. Uh, uh, I, I love the fact, and you'll see some other stories in it, uh, um, that I reflect on. I have learned about leadership myself uh, from these stories, but from my own personal experiences of working at Disney. And it has blessed my life in so many ways. And so... That's, that's part of the why I wrote the book. I wanted to share those lessons. They are powerful. I think one of my, my favorite stories uh, in, in the book is the, because I, I talk with this with my students quite a bit, is uh, the, 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 sto the story about Frank Wells uh, and, and some of the other guys, some of the other, I mean, Imagineers, walking around cleaning up the theme park. Uh, and that, yes. you know, that's a, a Disneyland Paris right before opening. It's one of those things that you always talk about it. And I always tell my students the, not the motto of everyone picks up trash because yes, that's a, that's an important motto. We should always keep everything clean. It's not the motto itself. It's the, what that says about the culture, about the company that 
it's everybody's job. You know, well, that's not something I do. And that's a very frustrating thing, I think, in corporate America right now is you just have so many people worried about themselves and worried about, well, this is what I do. You should do that because that's your job. It's not mine. And here you had Frank Wells, you know, in charge of the company saying, let's go. And it said they picked up cigarette butts, like even that small detail to me, Miss said, that's okay. That's serious stuff. Cause that's, it's a different, you know, I picked up a candy bar wrapper, or a soda bottle or something, you know, now, and but those cigarette butts, Heart that's, that's kind yeah. of disgusting. And so to think about that's how important it was to make sure that an activity or behavior like that was modeled. That's a that's a really cool thing to see from somebody who, for all intents and purposes, was not even the face of the company. Nobody around would have known who he was other than those within the company. You know, they would have known Michael Eisner. And so knowing that that happened, that was just because I'd never heard that story before. Uh, and that was, uh, that was one that, that really, really jumped out to me. Thank you for mentioning that story. And I love that story because it indicates it's a perfect example of how you flatten the organization. And one of the things we talk about in this book is the difference between what I refer to as hard wiring and soft wiring. So many times um, individuals, especially managers, they want to raise the bar of the organization. So they create some change in organizational structure. They, they create some new program, some new, new initiative. They create some new policy and program. I, I don't care what you do to your organizational chart. It's what you do as a leader, what you model. And, and Frank Wells was a great example of somebody who created this very level playing field. For those of you who didn't know who Frank Wells, he was Number two to Michael Eisner, he was president of the company as Michael was CEO. And, but, but Frank was a great individual of modeling the behavior that what I expect of others is what I expect of myself. Um, Bob, Bob Iger is, is a little bit that same way. He, you know, the man works crazy hard hours. He is up at 4, 4.30 in the morning, um, even on weekends, getting his workout in and getting to the office early. And he expects that of others and he expects and he empowers others to, to do the same. And, and, and so um, I, I just love the idea that um, these stories can suggest some, some real behaviors. This is not about retooling your organization or recreating some new initiative or fixing the org chart or moving people in and out. It is really about very real things, very tangible things that you can do um, to influence and inspire and to model and to get other people on board. Uh, that's, uh, that's what I love. There's another story. One of my favorite stories is uh, one that I heard many years ago. It was about a manager. Um, and by the way, I should mention most 90, 95% of the book, and I strongly believe this, 95% of the book um, inspires because the story is inspiring. It's a positive experience of somebody doing something positive. I don't think that you should have a lot of negative examples. Um, I, and, and when I do have negative examples, I do have a few. I'm constructive. I'm not all about you know, saying, oh, Disney's so perfect and all these leaders are so perfect. There is not one leader here that is perfect. Frank Wells was pretty amazing, but even he was not perfect. 
there was imperfections in all of these leaders, which should be a, a good sign to any one of us that we could be imperfect, but still be a great leader. Um, that said, there is one example that I give of a, a GM, a, a guy who was uh, in charge of Disney's Polynesian Resort Hotel. I won't give the name of the individual. But uh, he'd come in uh, through the parking lot into his office and he called another manager in. And the manager came in and the GM said, uh, can you tell me about this? And on his desk was all this trash. Going back to trash stories. Trash stories tell us so much about Disney. Um, so we tell lots of trashy stories. Um, yeah. so <laughs> but late, anyway, is, it, is it too late to change the title of the book? Filled yes. with trash? <laughs> Trashy stories of Disney. Right. <laughs> anyway, all this trash is on his desk. He goes, do you know what this is? And the manager is kind of like, no, I have no idea. And the GM, in a very self-righteous way, says, uh, this is all the trash you walked by this morning and didn't pick up on your way in. I was happened to be not far behind you coming out of my car. And I noticed you walk by all this trash and pick it up. And then he said, uh, why don't you go ahead and go out to the parking lot and pick up the rest of the parking lot. Um, it's so important to create a setting where the park and the parking lot and everything is clean. There is no question about that. But how do you get somebody to do that? There are better ways. If that GM had simply said as he was going through the parking lot noticing this thing happened if he could have called out to that manager and said hey hey you have a minute i'm just now noticing there's a lot of trash on this could you help me pick it up you could send that same message without belittling someone but still inspiring them and reminding them that this is an important behavior that we all pick up trash and so i think that so I think these two stories say a lot about leadership and how we ought to, to manage others and how we ought to lead others in the work that we do. So I've already given a little bit of a tip into, if you're thinking about favorite leaders mentioned in the book, Frank Wells would probably be my, I mean, I have more, I love stories about him and what he did probably more than I might even, you know, Roy, yeah. uh, it, just because of he would have been my generation impacting the company at a time when I would have been starting to pay attention to and really fall in love with the company. But who are a couple of your, I mean, you mentioned a lot, right? So who are a couple of your, if you had to pick some of your favorite leaders that you discuss in the, in the book? Well, uh, there are, there are again, nearly a hundred of these different stories of, of different leaders and I have to say, um, and some of them you're going to hear, hear about uh, this. I have this very um, involved story of a um, of uh, of one leader um, that uh, really uh, he, he was known as Mr. G, and he made a huge difference in an early show that Disney had called Disney on Parade. He was the leader of that uh, of what saved that and made it a very successful enterprise uh, for Disney. So I have a personal love. I made that the kind of the signature case study story. Most people don't go all the way back to Disney, um, Disney on Parade. 
Um, so I have a lot of current stories. We have stories about Shanghai Disney and stories about Tokyo Disneyland. We have stories about um, new films and Star Wars and George Lucas and things of this nature in, in modern, modern times. But if I, if I were to name a particular leader, then the dub would be Walt Disney. Um, such an amazing life. Such an amazing um, experience. And people know very well the success that Walt Disney had over his lifetime. But the thing that I paint in this book is not so much uh, uh, a biography of his successes and what he did as a leader. I paint the biography of his, I paint the story of his failures. People do not know how much disappointment, heartbreak, failure that he experienced, hurt um, moments in his life, struggles that he went through, bankruptcy at such an early age of his life. Um, the most people do not know that in the success of Snow White, he not only built a new studio, he also, he and Roy wanted to build a new home for his parents. And so they had it all built. There were some problems with the, with the gas line. And so he had some of his guys come out from the studio to go fix it. Um, it did not get corrected. Uh, it ultimately took the life of his mother. It's one thing to lose your mother. It's one thing to lose your mother to a bad accident. To think that your own people may have inadvertently, innocently, unfortunately, had not done something correctly, but that it led to their death. I, I can't imagine the pain he dealt with during that time. Um, that's just one of so many heartbreaking disappointments that a lot of people just don't know. The strike, the pain of that. Um, Charles Lindbergh, uh, his child was abducted and killed. And so there was a great fear among people and, and no bigger fear should have been held than the guy who was creating children's entertainment. Uh, Walt Disney was fearful of, uh, in, of in protecting his, his daughters, uh, but that made him closer to his daughters. Out of every one of these terrible tragedies or failures come uh, as the Sherman brothers put it in the, uh, the roses of success. Out of those ashes come the roses of success. And I think that's what makes Walt such a triumphant leader. It is not his successes. It's that they came out of his disappointments and out of his failures, or at least despite them. And so that's what inspires me and, uh, and that and so many other stories, so many other tales in the book. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, to nail all of them, but um, they're very exciting and, and they're fun. And they, and they, each one of them paints a, paints a little story about how you yourself can, can exhibit that same, that same behavioral trait. So we've heard a little bit about some stories about whether it's Frank Wells, whether it's Walt, whether it's some other uh, leaders within the company that you knew or that you knew of. 
but you also, uh, and this is what you do in all of your work, is you often share some personal stories to make that connection of these are not just about other people. This is what lessons these people and their stories are able to teach me, which then, of course, the connection you're making is it can do the same for you. So would you mind, uh, I mean, obviously these are all in the book, but would you mind sharing one of the personal stories that you share in the book just to give people an idea of how you connect those dots? Yeah, I alluded to, um, I alluded to the, uh, the story at Disney Institute, um, but let me share uh, another experience. There is a, a team building experience that's been had since the early days of Disneyland called the um, uh, Canoe Races. It's actually, uh, there's an acronym for it called CROW, which is Canoe Races um, uh, on Water or something like that. I can't remember exactly what the acronym, but it was, it's something that's been had for many, many years. And when I joined the company, I thought I have got to do the canoe races. This is the, this is the coolest thing I could possibly do was do the canoe races. And so I started talking it up with all my colleagues at Disney. Now, mind you, I came in from the outside um, midway in my career. And um, most of the people in Disney Institute, I mean, they had started up as parade performers and characters and entertainers and attraction hosts. And so they had been there and done that on the canoe races. They had, you know, they had just done it all. And so they weren't interested. But I wanted to do the canoe races. And so I joined a, a team of misfit <laughs> cast members, I guess, which didn't have any particular team, but, then, but still wanted to participate uh together in in the canoe races so so we all met it was the races are held early 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 before park opening on the rivers of america in frontier land at the magic kingdom so i came in through the back entrance and uh, met up with our team again people from all over the property i'd never met any of them before the only thing we shared in common was that we were pumped we were so excited to do this canoe race. And, you know, there was just this incredible morale. We hadn't really learned to communicate or do anything, hadn't any experience working together, but we were, we had the passion, we had the excitement, and it, it drowned out any other team that was coming to the table that day. Well, our turn came along, and the way that it happened is that they would start the race um, towards where the rafts are, uh, at um, Tom Sawyer Island. They'd start there. They'd fire a gun. Two canoes would go at a time. You'd race all the way around. Winner, and it was, you know, uh, a face-off until you found uh, found the ultimate winner. So, so our turn came up. We're pitted against another team. The gun goes off, and we head off. Stroke! 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 We are so pumped. You know, we are just stroke 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 you know we're moving our paddles we're very focused you know if you've done the canoeing you know you got to stay in sync with the other canoes so you don't hit the other paddles and so forth so we're all kind of just just our 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 faces are into the paddles and the water and we are moving along mind you i could see the team next to us and we were ahead and in, in just a few seconds we had already gone ahead we were like i mean our canoe was like it just seemed like it had escaped the water. It was moving so fast. And we were going, going, going. Stroke, 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 boom. 
Our canoe hit Big Thunder Mountain. And when I say we hit Big Thunder Mountain, well, let me just say two things. That mountain ain't made out of dirt. <laughs> it is one piece of cement. So we rolled up on a huge cement shore. Secondly, we rolled up, we were going so fast at the moment that our canoe was three-fourths of the way up that shore. So in order to get our canoe back out of the water, we had to literally get out of the canoe, push the thing back in, and start over. Needless to say, needless to say, we were uh, not only uh, the last to finish in that race, but we actually took on a new record held by the Walt Disney World Company of the slowest time ever by a canoe racing team. There you go. <laughs> um, it was all good play. And we were good sports about it. Disappointed, but good sports. But I tell you, I learned a powerful, powerful lesson. Somebody's got to steer. We were all busy rowing, and nobody was steering that canoe. Maybe we assumed that somebody was steering. But at the end, you need to have people who steer, and you need to have people who row. And I've used that story many, many times with organizations, particularly people at the top who sometimes they think not only should they steer, they ought to do the rowing as well. But, uh, but I, I, I've learned that really you've got to allow the people, you've got to have somebody steering, somebody put that vision, somebody who, who sees down the river bend and knows the direction the organization goes. And then you need somebody, and then you need a team that's rowing, and you got to let them row. You can't be redirecting them. You can't take over their oars. you got to let them do what they do best and let them row. Separating the steering and rowing and making sure that someone is steering and somebody is rowing, that's a powerful lesson for any, any organization who is seeking to try to make things work, especially new organizations who are trying to grow and, and develop. And they, you know, uh, this is part of, part of learning. And, uh, and it's one of the, the books, one of the stories in the book, along with other stories that really emphasize this idea of empowering others and allowing others to do the work that they need to do, uh, which is so critical to the success of any organization. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to obviously give us some insights into this book and, and, and hopefully everyone listening has, has heard enough that their appetite has been wet so that they are interested in going out and grabbing it. Can you give them uh, a, a little bit of information on where the easiest places are for them to get a hold of a copy of your book if they hear this and say, all right, I'm in, I want it? No, absolutely. Go to Amazon. Amazon is where you're going to find it. You can easily order it there and then um, go ahead and we'll put the link up on our website so you can just easily go there. Uh, we'll also have um, a Kindle version up and running by the time uh, that this uh, podcast airs. So um, that is a second option. Uh, either get the book in print or to go ahead and get it in Kindle and you can do it all in the same place through Amazon. 
All right. If you are interested in uh, obviously any of our older episodes, if you're just finding us, there are quite a few more episodes where we discuss other things, bring in other guests talking about uh, best in business practices from the Walt Disney Company. Uh, Jeff also has mentioned some of the work he does. You can find out more information about that at DisneyAtWork.com. You'll also have links there to uh, some of his other uh, endeavors as well. We thank you so much for joining us. Jeff, thank you very much for giving us an insight. I know this has been a labor of love for you. No, thank you for hosting. And uh, and again, uh, just looking forward, please, uh, please take a look at the book. Uh, read it. Uh, share with us your experiences. Share with us what uh, stands out for you. We want to hear from you. So thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, we hope that you will come again and listen to us very soon.